0: Hello and welcome to the TBG Real Estate Podcast, where we connect you with some of the most innovative and exciting real estate leaders today. We will show you that there are numerous paths to a successful career in the real estate industry, and that some of your greatest missteps can
1: be turned into your greatest triumphs. Without further ado, here's the head of TBG Real Estate, Chris Papa. All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the TVG Real Estate Podcast. I am your host Chris Papa and today sitting next to me in New York is Mickey Penzer. Hey Mickey.
2: Hi Chris. We're happy to have you here for two weeks this month.
1: I'm glad to be here. It's brutally hot outside and uh, this is the first time you and I have actually sat next to each other and did a podcast.
2: Yeah. We've done it together in the same office but from different rooms so we're trying this out (laughs) to see if this works. Better, worse, or the same?
1: So far, I kind of like it. Yeah. We're not talking over each other as much. Uh, and today, we are proud to have as uh, our guest, Stefan Leeds. Stefan is launching a company called Springboard Communities. Stefan has a background. He'll get into it more in education and politics, and he's combining that now with real estate development to have a social impact. How are you doing, Stephan? Well, thanks for coming on the show
0: yeah thank you guys for having me i i wish i was sitting there with you (laughs) this is great i'm really i'm thrilled to be here
1: yeah man and so i mean i look i checked out springboard you're in dc today but springboard's based at chicago
0: yeah that's right we are piloting in the south and west sides of chicago uh in some some tough neighborhoods which are really doing some awesome community organizing and they're asking themselves where does real estate play in that equation? So uh, it's been a cool way to get to know Chicago, beautiful city, awesome people there. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a New Yorker and DC guy uh, from growing up and with a born in Paris. And so always fun to oh, keep wow. working
1: west. Yeah. So why don't you give us a little breakdown of, our, of what Springboard is? Yeah, absolutely.
0: So uh, like you said, I really came from a background in, in, in a lot of education and education, brought us into politics and supporting good candidates and advocating for good policy. And what we saw in education was that school outcomes and student outcomes uh, were really affected by the physical spaces around them and the real estate development. But for an educator or a community leader, it was a really tough gap between their specialty in their work and being able to influence real estate development. And the big blockers were Mostly access to capital and well knowing how real estate development works uh, and and having the right people in the room. So we help to try to bridge that gap by providing that capital and that that know how. Uh, And the goal is to use the real estate development as a business and financial model, but also to uh, be able to really raise outcomes from education, but also, it you know, it touches on environment, it touches on food systems, on criminal justice reform. So the goal is some stability and some wealth creation through our work. So you're a do-gooder. <laughs> um, I guess an aspiring do-gooder. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, let's see, I made a little trouble in my life, um, but always had a real passion for education and for people and a big belief that everyone deserves the opportunity to build the type of life that they want i was very lucky in my life to be well supported and and have great people around me like mickey and, and you know i think from now it's seeing if we can start to do something on a systems level or really a really tangible impact but aspiring do-gooder for sure
1: <laughs> where did that come from i mean is that something you were you're raised for your family doing to do that
0: yeah it it was you know my mom's side is indian and my dad's side is german and jewish my mom's side really came to the u.s after getting caught up in some of the craziness of politician and she moved from to delhi and then over to south carolina and philly and new york um but really came with just an education and then my dad's side um both sides escaped germany during the holocaust my grandfather from uh, from Hamburg. And my grandmother had been lucky enough to get to Paris a little earlier until you can stay in Paris anymore. And they really came with just an education. And so uh, they were all able to set up good lives for themselves. And I think, uh, especially on my dad's side, they went from private industry into working in education. So, you know, I'm kind of genetically predisposed <laughs> to, to trying to do a little bit of, of good, leave things a little bit better than we found them, as my grandmother used to say. So I was I was kind of born in this, you know, how do you work within the systems we have to try and improve things incrementally, but hopefully substantially.
1: And so you said you were born in Paris. Was your family living there? Were you, you lived there or that, were you born there?
0: Yeah, my, uh, my, my parents were there for eight years. And I was born three years in. So if my math is correct, that gave me f- till I was five there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Paris was, I mean, it was awesome. I don't remember it, but I always love to go back. And they were there for business. So they'd been in the U.S. for a while. And my dad was working in um, some media and working on the international branch of the company. So that, I think he asked my mom one time if, you know, they were, she was open to working in or to living and raising the kids in Paris and although I am totally wowed at my mom's ability to raise four kids I'm the youngest of four uh, in a new country where she didn't speak the language I think she's very happy wow. she did and and yeah I was it was it's tough to complain
1: you know c'est pas mal as we would say so your family the risk takers I mean it seems like they uh, are willing to take a chance
0: yeah, I, I think uh, everyone's got their own risk and reward, their own risk and reward thresholds. But uh, I'd say there, we're we're big travelers and love to see new ways of living, new styles and uh, new, new styles of cities. But you know, most of all, we like to eat new food.
1: <laughs> yeah. What did you want to be when you grew up? When you were a kid, did you have an interest in, in education or real estate or anything like that? I
0: can't believe I'm going to say this, Chris. When I was 13 or 14, I think I told my mom and dad, I said, what I really want to be when I grow up is a trophy husband. Sounds like <laughs> um, it's changed a lot. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think I, I always had a passion for education. I always had a real interest in, um, in, 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 in and again, the people around me. And I think that took a little bit to get over to what you want to do work-wise and what you really want to spend such a big portion of your time with but I tell you it tells you a lot once you find it if you weren't really looking for it because you're like oh my goodness like I I could do this for the next five to 50 years which is unexpected
2: (laughs) well I think it'd be easier to be a trophy husband now than it was then like Mm -hmm. then, that would have been controversial but now there's so many successful women who can't can't find a nice dude so I think you'd have an easier time being a trophy husband now
0: See, my timing was terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's not too late. It's not too late. That's right. There's, there. You know, millennials switch jobs so often that it could be a stint. Uh, just kidding. Okay. But uh, I, 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 think it's a great point, maybe I have two big sisters and a mom who are all a lot smarter and cooler than I am. Um, and I'll give it to my brother and my dad too. But I just, I, you know, they have amazing careers, and a lot of what I do, I. Uh, the successful parts of what I do come from them, and the rest of it I take credit for.
1: <laughs> so you grew up in D.C. Did you go to college, and then, if so, did you study to be a teacher?
0: No, but it's a great, it's an awesome question, Chris. I, I I love the question. I uh I did go to college. I went to Cornell University. They have a hotel school there, which is kind of feeds restaurants, hotels, but also finance and real estate. Um, I had a real estate minor there. Loved. Uh, you know, loved, loved Cornell, especially when it was above zero degrees and, and always had a passion for, for, for the business development side. I actually worked in tech up to starting springboard, really tech education and some exposure to politics was my background. And I wanted to be a teacher and I had volunteered in some charter schools. I would volunteered in some public schools and additive programs that they have around schools, So things like after school or weekend programs. And it was actually such a shame. Like I started looking into teaching and I it was... And, and some of our policy work has been around this, but it it was such a tough gig, you know, like I wanted to be a teacher, I loved kids, and they basically worked harder, made less money, didn't get the autonomy, you know, didn't get the upward mobility, like there is a lot of things we're working on as far as, you know, making it, it's it's obviously so important, our education system of today is our economy of tomorrow, uh, having great teachers and role models for the students is one of the most important parts, and, and I think, you know, as the country, we owe so much to teachers, and probably have some debt to start paying back.
1: Yeah, I mean, my mother was in the; she worked in the public education system, and so I was exposed to the limiting monetary benefits of the teacher my entire life. And so, I actually explored that. I, I was a sub, substitute teacher in college, and I was thinking about doing that. And I actually took my teacher's exam, like the prax, the Praxis. Then I realized that, yeah, there's a lack of mobility, more mobility. It's like you kind of go there until you're tenured. I mean, being a teacher, I'm sure it can be amazing too, but it just seemed like I had more of a entrepreneurial spirit or something like that. But yeah, they don't really make it. Uh, there's not, you know, the carrot at the end of the stick, I guess, is you're helping kids, but beyond that, it's sometimes it can just be like teachers become very institutionalized. I feel.
0: Yeah. And, and, and taken for granted. I hear you. But I mean, I think the amazing thing about them is. Passion driven, right? It's a calling. I mean, people become teachers because they love it, and I'm sure your mom was that way. But you know, I think it's uh, it, it's because a lot of times I think they're driven by so much passion and 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 love for kids and the work that they put up with maybe too much sometimes. And I, I you know, I, I know I have good relationships with some folks from uh, the NEA and AFT and teachers unions, and they're they're heroes of mine. But it's it's something where. You know, there's always this kind of push and pull where they do everything because they really love the work, and that love and and respect needs to be
1: reciprocated. Uh, what What did your mom teach? No, so she was a, she was a school nurse, so she was involved with that. You know, she had the same pay scale as uh, you know the teachers and stuff. I don't like a job that says if you work at five percent of your capacity or 105 percent of your capacity, you're still going to make the same amount. Like that didn't make sense to me. Yeah. So
2: there's pros and cons to the union. The, the pro is that there's strength in numbers, but the con is that it allows for that. Like, you can't reward good teachers because you're not allowed to. And you have to keep bad teachers on just because they're tenured. I have run schools because my mom runs a not-for-profit that runs schools, and it is really difficult when you have good teachers you want to reward and bad teachers you'd love to get rid of, but they make it really difficult on you.
0: Yeah, they make it yeah. you- you're totally right. I mean, it, it's a—it's not a black and white question, right? Around the unions,
2: teachers' insurance in New York is really
0: good. <laughs> good, good, good. I mean, I think one one thing I would say is, you know, the all the high performing school systems in the U.S. have strong unions, and not every system that has a strong union is a high performing system. But it—it it, it is just about, you know, I think it's—it's it's such a collaborative and and it's such a fun thing about working around education or community development, right, is is everyone really is interested in kind of moving the ship forward. And I know there's outliers to that. But I think it's it's such a winning piece to have a collective voice be represented in the discussion, and albeit not without its complications. And, you know, the second thing is, Chris, to your point about your mom, the, one of the things that Springboard really is built around and, you know, why your mom is, is, is another <laughs> – hero of mine already, is the like Learning Policy Institute is a, is a research hub out of California, and they find a 15 to 1 return for every dollar spent into school wraparound services. And that's pretty wild for society, for a 15 to 1 return as, as a place to invest. And so there have been this movement of community schools around the country, which are schools that kind of recognize that that being a good school for, you know, 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Is, is great and needs a lot of attention. But having the stability and support for these kids um, and making sure they're kind of coming in ready to learn is, is necessary, right? So these are schools that kind of address things going on outside the classroom through engaging the community and through fostering leadership locally and connecting with resources. Um, you know, these are schools that are starting to address these, these, these kind of community-wide obstacles towards good education. And the exciting thing is that it's a really efficient way to invest in communities and invest in society is by using the school as a real hub for it. And and we've all seen this with with, with either our own kids or um you know in, in conversations, like people have a funny way of putting their self-interest aside when it's a generational discussion. And I think that's really powerful to to frame something in a way that we're thinking long-term and and uh you know generation generationally, but also in a, in a kind of collective, I'm, I'm missing the word, but, uh, where, where that, but looking out for others primarily.
1: So I was going to say, go back to like, so you were, you had a passion for education and you studied real estate. And then of course, naturally you went into tech sales. How did that happen?
0: That happened? Well, so I worked in a couple of different tech companies. I worked for a VC fund in D in New York for a summer called Great Oaks Venture capital, um, awesome group. Uh, and, and really, some cool investments that they make. Um, I worked for, for Fundrise, which is a real estate crowdsourcing tech company, and they've done quite well. They were really one of the early ones in the space. Um, some in marketing, some in education tech, and then I worked for a software company. Like when I went into sales in a full time capacity, it was with a company that did called Partender. There was software for bars, restaurants, hotels, airlines—like really people who serve liquor. and needed to take inventory and do better cost control. Great group, awesome software, saved people time and money. Which was like, it's nice to work for something you believe in, right? Especially if you got to sell it. Um, so it, it was an awesome two years. I started out, uh, you know, as an entry level salesperson, ended up being their lead on on sales development for the company, and uh, still very close with them, and um, you know, still still always looking to help out. But it was really kind of a stopover to learn more about business development. Um, I always kept an ear and a foot towards education, community development, and probably never stopped talking about it as much as I should have.
2: <laughs> so what's all this got to do with real estate? Like, Can you tell us more about how all of this now feeds into what you're doing in real estate with this education and with everything?
1: Yeah, because you've never developed a property before on your own, right?
0: That's, that I was going to say, I know a lot less about real estate than than definitely you two, and, and I'm sure most people on Um, that you've had on as guests and and have the pleasure of working with day to day. Um, The real estate model really popped up um, because what we started by saying, with access to political capital, some social capital, access to some financial capital, and, you know, I had some early support from some family offices around the work, and... With access to all this innovation and nonprofits and then social entrepreneurship, right? With this social economy that's popping up, like we know we can build a better type of community. And what does that look like? And so the two things that really we popped up on a lot were one that there was a lack of a safety net um, in most communities, right? The the fact was that. 78% of full-time workers, not just Americans, but 78% of full-time workers uh, live paycheck to paycheck. And right over half of Americans can't afford $400 in emergency expenses. And so we said, well, we need, the, there's real value of community to be able to support and stabilize and, and, and help each other out. So um, we, we felt like, and we're not the first ones to, to say it, um, a lot of better minds than mine have pointed out, right? There's, there's really kind of a breakdown of traditional going on across the country. So one was around, we wanted to build more stable and supportive communities. And the second one was that we saw that there was a, right, and and for some of the same stats, right, there was such a challenge in accumulating individual wealth and having access to resources. So the reason we really dove into real estate was we said, in a lot of these communities, there's, a, there's the ownership, the home ownership or the rates of just owning assets in the community or stocks or things like grow were really low. And so when we started kind of digging into that more, we saw that, you know, the other thing that happened in a lot of really low cost neighborhoods is those home ownership rates were even lower. And they all kind of had this question of, hey, we know we're not going to be able to afford to live here for a while, especially around urban cities, right? We've all kind of seen the process of economic development and, you know, slash gentrification. And uh, they, they really sat there and said, well, what's the point of continuing to invest into our community if we know that in 10 years it won't be our community anymore? And, and I think that's the biggest cost of gentrification is not the displacement, but is that it disincentivizes people from investing in their communities. And so we looked at real estate ownership as the solution to a lot of these in that they could own growing assets in their community that they would have a seat at the table in terms of development and and actually be the owner, right? And have the chance to really steer local development or sell properties. But in order to have that say, real estate ownership was crucial. And that comes with the question of, well, what do you do with the real estate? And so really, it's all around letting the community with development partners, with the expertise and with access to capital, like, hey, let them sit in the driver's seat of this real estate development process, you know, and, and so it became around, selecting democratically and lifting up lifting up community leaders who had a real vision for their community and so real estate's really just a tool for the community leaders as they continue to build it um, to, as they continue to build up their community and make it a little stronger that, that's a mouthful <laughs> where can i dive deeper yeah. in
1: <laughs> well let's start at the beginning here so you had an idea to do this i mean you have some business development experience you have uh, experience with creating efficiencies through some of your tech platforms, how did you start? I mean, you you were like, and why Chicago? And like, what was the first, who was the first person you talked to in Chicago? Like, we gotta, we're gonna do this. Like, how, how did that start? Yeah, we
0: actually started looking in Baltimore because, you know, we sat down with Ray Lewis, the Ravens, ex, the Hall of Fame Ravens linebacker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you
1: get Ray Lewis on the phone? How do you, how do you sit down with Ray Lewis? How did someone do that?
0: I honestly, I showed up to Tao for a meeting uh, it was Tao. I'd over in ninth and fourteenth. Little free advertising for them. Uh, but like, mm-hmm. I, I showed up to Tao, and there was an organization there called Power Forty Four that was focused on social impact. And and the meeting was set up by some folks uh, actually in the crypto space, and they were I think looking for investment from Ray. And we were meeting with uh, one of Ray's associates who ran the nonprofit, which was about taking in you know people who had recently been incarcerated and helping them get jobs and build solar panels. And they had a really cool business model. And so we started chatting with them and we said, great, let's do Baltimore. Um, And I spent a while networking in Baltimore and continuing to learn around community development as well as the local market and networking. And the, you know, but to answer your question, like the way all these networking has happened is, I think people find it really compelling, this idea of building more inclusive economic development models and creating opportunity for some people who really need it. Right. And that's nothing new. Um, And so it's kind of wild, the twists and turns and where it leads you.
2: Under Armour has been pushing a lot of the community development in Baltimore.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, we, we spoke with some folks from Under Armour. Johns Hopkins has done a lot there as far as investing into real estate as well as some development around and supporting some projects. Um, no, there were a couple of big players. And if you've seen, I mean, you know, downtown Baltimore and some areas have really started to boom. It's, it's, a, it's a cool city. I grew up in D.C. most of my life. so uh, And then family was in New York. So I kind of have driven through it a bunch and then starting to get to know it at another level is always, is always fun with the new city.
2: Ended-
0: Moore is also from Baltimore, who's now the executive director of Robinhood. Oh, really? That's very cool. Yeah. Um, so, we, you know, we looked into it a year or two ago, and there was there was some cool investment going on. And I mean, I think, you know, whether you're looking at opportunity zones, you're looking at, uh, at local leaders um, and, and local businesses and, and individuals who've done really well. Yeah, there's so much cool community investment going on. You know, and, and so looking at how you can kind of do shared ownership so that that investment creates
1: wealth in the right pockets is, is really quite cool. How do they, how do you convince them to invest with you? Did you come up with a business plan or like, what was your, I mean, do you have like, Oh, we have this property and like, and specifically what type of properties are you actually having investing in?
0: Sure. So, so the, the, the model right now, um, the development model weighs that the kind of, the structure that we use is a real estate investment co-op model. And that does two things. One, it enables the shared ownership um, and a lot of collective action because everyone owns a share and they can participate even if they're not really ready for, to buy homes, right? Because a lot of people are not great fits for it yet. Um, but they can participate at different levels and, and start to get shares in the co-op. So it kind of allows you to split up the ownership into shares like a corporation. The second bit it does is it allows you to kind of have a local board. Um, the board of that co-op can be comprised of local leaders. And so it means you have a kind of governance structure to decide what's going on with the real estate development. And as far as the type of projects we're doing, you know, and, and this is a uh, <laughs> this is for community development interest, but we basically we keep it really wide open. Our first projects we're looking at currently, you know, we're, we're acquiring our first homes. We work with some education partners there that, Reengage engage some kids who've gone through a lot of tough backgrounds, but have go through the social emotional healing to get there and then uh, kind of develop some skills and get jobs that are quality union jobs, you know, 50 to $70,000 a year. And once they're making money, the question is, well, what kind of assets do they put it into? What kind of, you know, what, what, what kind of home are they supposed to live in? And these things are skills that they don't know how to navigate. And you know, when I needed to learn how to navigate, right. I call my mom and I think there's not, it's not always, Network around, um, but so yeah. right now we're starting with housing. But the model is can invest into commercial properties, can invest into civic projects, infrastructure, uh, housing. So I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But but the goal is really to have a, a, a central body of community leaders with a great vision, collective ownership around them. Um, those have all the ties to the community you need, which can mitigate some risks and help out with the, the, uh, with the future work. But, you know, the model is really about saying, Hey, with development partners, what can't they develop, right? As long as it's a good real estate plan and, and environmentally sustainable and inclusive to the community, those are kind of our three, uh, right check boxes for any projects we take on, but it's a diverse range of, of real estate assets. Um, the goal is to be able to develop for community plans and needs.
1: And so you find a house, right, in Chicago, or you're building this from like scratch, or you find one and you fix it up.
0: Yeah, so in Chicago they have a, they have a um, they have a good number of vacants. They also have some uh, some of our community based organization partners are rehabbing houses already and teaching kids construction skills. And so we, you know, there's there's kind of these other players in there who find houses. But yeah, our goal is to get the kid in a house that's basically turnkey, but help the kid understand how do you pick that house, right? How do you finance that house? How do you boost the value of your home and by investing in the community? So there's all these kind of almost curriculum that we build out for students around real estate ownership, trying to trying to make smart real estate owners and even some developers.
1: And so you find the house and you get some investors, right? Is that correct? You get like some, maybe like a big outside investor and then a couple of community investors to own this property yeah that
0: ballpark yes i mean we'll it'll vary the capital stack for even each one but uh yeah that's the idea right some a little bit of philanthropy some debt financing and some community investment um time wise as well as money wise
1: and then you find someone at need who needs a place to live and then you put them in there and then they have access to all these different community things to help them like just guide them guide them in their life
0: yeah, so so let me tell. You, I mean, the re, you know, you were asked why Chicago. The reason why Chicago is uh, one, it's it's growing, but this really, this is just why it works. But it, it's growing population is some projections have a doubling in population by 2030. I mean, it's it's going through a lot of change right now. But the biggest reason we landed on Chicago is actually our local partner there. Uh, a guy named Dr. Flavian Prince runs an organization called Meta Twenty Four, and they are. Um, you know, they, like I said, they're reengaging kids. We kind of have a five-step process that goes from skills to uh, jobs to wealth accumulation, which they're already doing these three things. And so we, they are really provide kind of a community, or sorry, an education to community pipeline. So those are our future homeowners, our future business owners, and they're the ones who fuel the need for a lot of real estate development. Is that there's folks already on the ground spurring the economic activity.
1: Gotcha. And so you have two of these now in Chicago, right? You said uh, we well, we our local
0: partners have been working there for twenty, thirty years. Um, Where we we're picking our first three to five houses with some of the students who have come out of the program. Uh, so it's first it's first development. So the real estate part we are actively figuring out.
1: Yeah. So you found some local real estate developers too. But you didn't. So you decided had, you had to bring some local. Is it some like nonprofit developers, or did you find some just? People who nope. wanted to help the community, or how did how did you find the community, the real estate development people?
0: You know, I would say <laughs> um, we well, we we because our partners have been working there for twenty years. They had a great network across schools, governments, businesses, um, community based organizations, and and definitely some real estate uh, development firms that we have lined up with as local partners that can help kind of cut some of our learning curves about the local conditions as well as real estate development overall. Um, you know, I, I would say. Uh, or plays a heavy emphasis on kind of delegating expertise about what works in the community, right, to this proven community leaders. Um, I use a similar strategy in my hiring and management, right, and my role is really to continue to adhere to the vision and, and advocate relentlessly for the community, but mostly bring in the right resources, so having people there who um, have navigated these. So, you know, we're we're working with folks who set up real estate investment co-ops. We're working with folks who've done local development and just kind of doing it in a way that, uh, well, what I learned from Tech was right: start small and and have something that can scale. So as as we go, we wanted to grow a lot in Chicago, and it's something that we're hoping to work in other markets as well.
2: So, in summation, your your advice is to partner to your weaknesses.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, like you the like to your question: How do you get a meeting with X? Right? It's my my strength was around listening and supporting and pulling together the right people. And so, yes, I would say for, for the community development, for understanding what it's like in these communities, we brought on local partners. For understanding real estate development there, we brought on local. So, yeah, I'd say it's starting with – there's a great exercise called Leadership Compass, um, you know, but there's all these different ways that you can start to really kind of chip away at your strengths and weaknesses. And, and, and yeah, I'd partner or hire or do something about covering up your weaknesses.
1: What does Springboard look like now as far as the employees? So we got, um, I started
0: it in August 2018. Uh, that's when I got the nerve to quit my job and really start focusing on this. In that time, we have gotten support from the Colorado University School of Education. We did a service agreement with them. They sent over three, you know, three PhD students and NYU they have a Furman Center, and they run the program called Capstone around sending professors and students. And so their real estate school um, graduate school is, is has sent over four students and professor. But it's all really been kind of uh, thought part partnering and building the model. And now we're kind of getting to that rubber hits the road part. As far as you know, full time, it's mostly it, it's it's really about our local partners, and we have some great support from from board members. Um, but it's it's really. We're in a kind of fundraising to build boards and bring on the first house's stage, so we're early. That's awesome. And what has been the what has been the hardest part so far? Uh no, honestly, it's a fun part because it's like you know, and 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 I'd love to hear a little bit more about 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 how you guys put together. Um, <laughs> but we can do that offline sometimes. But uh, how you put together your organization, but you know, there's this kind of consistent there are consistent light bulb moments, but in order to need a light bulb moment, you you got to go through some of the confusion. Right. Um, and so yeah. it, it's, it's a consistent, like there's something to figure out. And, um, you know, we, I research and network and get to a light bulb moment and then that leads to more questions. So I think there's this continuous cycle of, of, you know, when you're building something new with proven models, it's a combination of research and, uh, not sleeping and thinking about it. Um, but you know, it's a, yeah, it's the hardest part honestly has has been, you know, I think that with something that's early stage and new, that it's that it's about building up the credibility and resources to continue to validate it. And and it just takes time to figure things out and to bring on, you know, kind of to continue building that movement.
1: And so I think if you were gonna move into like start doing this and say, I don't know, Memphis, Tennessee, right? The first thing you would do is find some local community leaders or some some local partners on the ground there, and and like just call them up and say, "Hey, this is what I'm doing here. Are you interested in participating?"
0: Yeah, basically, you know, I would say uh, the buy-in is essential from the community, from the community leaders as well as the rest of the community. So, you know, when Chicago, they're saying we're not sure we're going to have be able to afford to live here in ten years. What's our role in that process? Um, But right, it starts with successful community leaders and you know, I think one of the big things you learn really quickly when you start looking into community development is communities don't change because of outside parties and they don't change according to outside parties, timelines or investment models. If you want it to come from within the community, right? I mean, there's, there's other ways to change communities without having them on the table, but if you want to do things inclusively or collaboratively with them, then it's a lot of the listening and supporting. And so, yeah, the first thing is, I mean, and we have a lot of interest from a lot of different markets, but I keep telling people we have to figure out it works before we take people's time up with it. But it starts with leaders with a real vision and a great network to kind of start building the movement locally. And, and Dr. Prince, what he's built in Chicago is, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I studied school systems. You know, we toured uh, international school systems with some of my education work before. We toured successful school models. Um, you know, they what they can do with kids who've gone through, who've been kicked out or dropped out or sent to jail from these really tough, um, already from the toughest schools in Chicago. Like you meet these kids, you know. I think of a girl Cece who I've been uh, had this awesome chance to work with and 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 learn from when I've been in Chicago. Like the kids are amazing and incredible, and she's taught me stuff about entrepreneurship. That right, like after working in tech, it's just. Uh, it starts with, right, someone you really want to invest in, a community that you want to invest in. Uh, And your role
1: now, what's your role now? Are you going around? I mean, you and Mickey, you guys can tell it, but you guys met on a panel. I mean, what was the point of that panel? So we actually met first through our
2: (laughs) mutual friend, David Holman. Oh, yeah. And then we sat on a panel together.
1: Why were you on that panel, Stefan? Uh, well, it was an impact
0: panel. It was called Total Impact, um, which which was great, and it was all about how to use real estate and housing. What are investment opportunities in real estate and housing that have a positive social impact? And uh, you know, Mickey is quite brilliant and, and and on the on the frontier of a lot of the uh, a, a lot of practices going on. And I guess they brought me on to be the crazy guy talking about something new. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, so the point of the conference was that there are a lot of family offices and foundations that are interested in investing and getting a profit, but also creating social impact. So there were four people on this panel. One was Nathan Taft from Jonathan Rose, um, who's their head of acquisitions. One was Nadab, and he does a lot of Class C, Class B housing. And then I was on to talk about it from, like, the family office foundation perspective. And because my mom works in a lot of these communities, and so we have like a different on-the-ground perspective. And then Stefan was there to talk about a lot of the community aspects because you really can't do this kind of stuff without engaging the community because it won't go anywhere. Yeah. And you won't do it right because you. we can come in and say we think we know what needs to be done, but without the actual users, it would be like creating – a product without beta testing it. Nobody would do that because you need to know someone's gonna buy the product. And just because this is a captive audience doesn't mean they shouldn't also have a say in how it happens. So yeah. that's a lot of the reason why we step Stefan on because we work with a lot of these community leaders.
1: And Stefan, are you always looking for new family offices to to invest with you?
0: For sure. We're always looking for you know for partners and supporters of the idea. And we're trying to build a little bit of a new dynamic for development, which we call democratic development. Um you know, I think just to back up what what, uh, and I I appreciate you raising it, Chris. Because yeah, absolutely. I mean, this work takes resources, and and we, you know, I mean, we have the right pieces in play, and there's there's kids who need homes, and there's a new vision, right, that we're really trying to work towards. Um, and I think a big part of it, Mickey, you touched on, is that people deserve the say, right? And to go geeky in economics for a little bit, like you know, and when you say in economics that if not all stakeholders are present when they're putting together deals, that leads to negative externalities, right? Or externalities, just some of which happen to be negative. And I think that's what we've seen a lot of in development is that when these things are ignored, uh, these cycles start to pop up of, of poverty, of dependence. I mean, there's, it's complex and there are holistic issues, but, you know, I think it starts with having everyone get their fair say in it. And then the second half, I'd say the real estate argument here. And so there's my geeking out on economics. And then here's my like self-deprecating. I read the, uh, I read, you know, real estate investing for dummies when I was first starting out in this, the yellow book, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and it talks about in these neighborhoods, right? It's like real estate's about if you're investing in, in, in less established markets, it's about investing or, or or building in the path of progress. Right. And, So with my education background, I said, well, a lot of people are already generating some progress, right? How can we connect, uh, you know, community development and and education and economic opportunity that's popping up or activity that's popping up from it and um, help kind of create a new cycle, right, where that economic activity is shaping the community around it and then that's going up in value and then you can invest it back into the community, right? So it's about this kind of new cycle of, well, it's a a local economy, really. Yeah." Well, oh, you're an
1: amazing guy, man. This is this is this is awesome. I would uh, I personally would like to get involved, and hopefully, do you do you take on like volunteers or how do you how's that work? Can, I, can an individual like myself help in any way?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we take cash and checks. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we but you know I think it's there's so many ways to get involved. Like I said, I really come in and, and love to listen and and learn from, um, from the community, but from folks in the real estate world and folks in education and people who. You know i mean the cool part about community work is investing in communities is proven to boost happiness it's but it's proven to invest civic engagement education outcomes health outcomes right environmental education like we get so much interest from uh from groups working in each different part of these communities which is the cool thing about community right it kind of touches on everything and so we're always looking for new perspectives new supporters board members volunteers hires uh funders it you know there's it's, it's movement building, and I think that we, everything we do is around collaboration and inclusion and, um, and sustainability. Well, certainly,
2: so. as you build out your company, we can be here to advise on that, since the, for self-plugging, we, we are recruiters, um, <laughs> so we're happy to at least you know donate our time and advice on how you can yeah, build true. out your organization and, and those kind of things, so at least you have us at a minimum on that.
1: Yeah. I, I well, let's get to let's get to our, our, our rapid fire questions. It's not really rapid fire, but we just have these kind of standard questions we ask all our guests. Are you ready? All right, I'm ready. I'm in the hot seat. What is your favorite book or most influential book that you recommend to someone? The End of Average. I read
0: about a year ago. It's a book by Todd Rose. He does uh, brain. He's a neuroscientist at Harvard. He talks about how everyone needs to follow their own path, like their own timing, their skills are contextual, and he just talks about how measuring things on average, like looking at the average numbers or the average performance, usually serves to slow down (laughs) productivity and efficiency rather than boost it. And the example they use is the U.S. Air Force was... Having a lot of crashes and underperforming until they started customizing the cockpits to the pilots rather than customizing the cockpits to the average pilot. And the US Air Force did pretty well after that. Gotcha. So, do
2: you have any podcasts besides CBG Real Estate that you would recommend to our
0: listeners? Um, yes. I actually am a big fan of, uh, of, of a podcast called Community Made, which has a lot to do with finding your balance between your work and your life, but also brings on amazing guests like, um, you know, from Gary Vanderchuk to, and so on. Right. So it's a lot of big entrepreneurs who built large businesses, but they kind of go a layer deeper into, uh, the people who help them get there and, and, and the type of life that you really want as you continue to do this type of work. And I've loved that one. And then I, you know, I listen to some. some I'm a Doctor Death fan and <laughs> some other ones, but 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 uh, community made has, has been has been really big in, in figuring out my own calendar, schedule, work life balance, and and kind of keeping the right mentality day in day out, which, which helps. Hopefully, well, hopefully will help me successful.
1: <laughs> Speaking of uh, work life balance, I, I'm big into meditation and uh, like working out. Do you have anything in your life that kind of keeps you keeps you balanced and centered?
0: Uh, a hundred percent. I mean, I'm a, I'm a basic guy. (laughs) I just, I just mean, uh, you know, I'm very close with, with friends and family and I try and do something, uh, you know, fun, like purely social and separate from work, which sometimes I have a tough time doing unless there's other people in the room. So one, I'd say the people in my life I'm so grateful for and, um, and I'm lucky to have them and hopefully the (laughs) feelings mutual in some cases. And, uh, but I I do. I, I work out. I, I like to go, I run uh, a couple times a week. I lift a couple times a week. And I do breathing exercises about 10 times a day, even if it's just for 30 seconds or less. Like, I find just focusing on my breathing and, um, and the science is there, right? When you focus on your breathing and you slow down, it activates certain systems in your body that make you calm, collected. Um, you know, I think of work a lot like I think athletes probably approach their game, right? Where I want my mind and body to be well rested and um, that keeps me from saying too many stupid things. And <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we have a lot of young listeners who are, you know, just starting out in their career. So do you have any advice you would have given your 20 year old self?
0: Yeah. You know, this is funny. It's mine kind of one of my things I would say, and it, and it ties in with the end of average, but it's also like I, this Facebook ad pops up <laughs> and I'm slightly insulted by it, but it pops up on my newsfeed all the time. And it says, you know, you don't have to start your career in your twenties <laughs> and, and yeah. and, and it's, it means don't work in your twenties. Like I just think we, and in school too, right? Like there's so much stress and anxiety in schools right now that uh, I think a lot of it's caused. And I had this when I was younger, right? It's like, what do I want to do? Like, I know I have some skills, but like, what do I, what do you do with it? What do I want to do? And I think yeah. enjoying that question and taking your time with it would be my advice because Life is a lot of answers, which can be fun for a little bit, but, right, it's mostly about enjoying the, the path you get there. And if you're beating yourself up consistently because of, of expectations that you have for yourself or others, right, have for you, like, then it's going to be really tough to enjoy. And so uh, it's, you know. A lot I mean, of
2: new research that used to be people thought you should specialize, 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 but that actually people who are generalists and who Especially earlier on their life experiment with multiple things get farther
0: there's a, uh, there's a great book there's a great book that I could have listed instead of end of average right calls reach that I just read yeah
2: I'm reading it now
0: too oh so that's what it's awesome you're, you're spot on it's, it's, it just talks about how you know but I don't think that it's a it's the only winning strategy is to be a generalist but I just mean Your balance between generalizing and and being more specialized, like that balance should be resemblant, like should like uh, represent you and where you're at. Like you shouldn't start specializing until you're crazy about something, and then it gets a lot easier to specialize.
1: And our last question: What do you look for when you're hiring someone to work
0: for you? Uh, You know, one of my favorite quotes around it is and and this is post hire. So I'll, I'll go back a little bit. But it, the, the, you know, one of my favorite quotes is if you hire someone and within 30 days, you don't have a moment where you say, man, I'm glad that you, that I hired you. Like, it's not a great sign, right? Like great people. You have to yeah. spark with and, 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 and there's some kind of a chemistry that happens really between you guys. I think that leads a lot. Um, so, you know, when I, I, it's, it's a line I always try and balance, um, with partners or with hiring. Just like, I like to prepare. I like to know a lot about them, but I also like to go in really open-minded and really, and really authentic, right. And to try and hear what they have to say and, 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 and see how they they present themselves. So what I would say is I always look for people who are smarter than I am and doesn't take much. (laughs) Ah,
1: (laughs) you're so funny. Well, (laughs) Stefan, it's been a pleasure. You are building. You have built an amazing company.
2: Keep up the good work.
1: Yeah, we're going to follow you, and uh, hopefully, everyone else will, and kind of see how this progresses. And uh, look forward to. Uh, we'll
2: have you back on in a year or two.
1: Yeah, you can tell us about all the all the different projects you're you're doing, and Springboard, and be in different communities now, all over the all over the U.S. Hopefully, that well, that's that's
0: the plan. Definitely, you know, would love to be back on. I uh, always a pleasure, Mickey and Chris. Like it's, uh, you know, the the work you guys do. Uh, well. Beyond that, we're going to definitely be using you for hiring. You know, I mean, it's like I, I think the the impetus for this work is that there's great people with a lot of skills. And you guys are definitely in that. And uh, we can, you know, all together, if we put our heads together and kind of work towards a common goal. Uh, some exciting, fun things can happen. So uh, I really do appreciate you having me on and um, I'll look forward to catching up in New York soon. Yes, sir. Thank you so much.
2: Well, happy new year.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. Please visit us online
1: at tbg-realestate.com or on Instagram at tbg.realestate. Until next time, have a great week.